Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce. Yep. The Bradford Show is back. I didn't want to tell anyone when we did our last episode, which was about, uh, it was early July. I didn't want to tell anyone, but I opted out of the regular season. The Bradford Show opted out of the regular season. So now that we are free and clear of that regular season, uh, we are storming on into making baseball great again with podcasts, some more baseball, and then the real meat and potatoes, the off season. So who better to have on than the media star, the guy who threw 100, the guy who made this prediction just before the Red Sox season, Pat White. We got 60 games this year. I'm going to give us a win total of, of 39. Holy Doctor. crap. Doesn't that, isn't that almost competing for the division at 39 wins? Couldn't th- You're damn right it is. <laughs> I, think, I think you predicted, if I remember right, you predicted them go to the World Series, correct? I did, I did and that will be a correct prediction. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. This podcast is one of the best ones we've ever done. It's one of the best baseball podcasts you will have heard since baseball returned. And it's a great reason why you should be listening to this podcast going forward, heading into the season. So once again, boom sauce to everybody. Boom sauce to everybody. Because tis the season to get this baby going again. Here we go, Pat Light. All right, we're back. He's back, Pat Light. Look at you. Look at me. Like this, so so smiling. Baseball's always. Back. You're back on the Bradfoe show. Here's a here's a name. I was I was tossing around names, Pat. Like if we wanted to do a offshoot of the Bradfoe show. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's you tell me if this is a good name for a podcast. Okay. One of us threw a hundred. <laughs> I love it. Absolutely. That's a good name, right? That's a phenomenal name. And you, put, us- you put the 100, like the 100, like 100%, like the emoji 100? Yeah, and it's true. One of us did throw 100. Who knows which one? I mean, who knows, right? No one knows. No one knows. Anyway, so uh, we're going to get right to it. That baseball's back. And when you say baseball's back, I know baseball's been back. But it doesn't, it's not officially back until we do this podcast. And the best way to do this is this, a simple construct, buying and selling. Are you buying or are you selling? And I was thinking, uh, is that sort of cliche? Is, that, um, is there a better way to phrase it? Are you purchasing or are you distributing? <laughs> no, no. Like that, no, it's, that's it's, just, it. it's just are you buying or are you selling? You're, you're a businessman, yeah. right? Are you yes. buying or are you selling? Correct. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, I will allow you, I will go down the list of are you buying or are you selling? And I will allow you to give your take on it, and then I will give my take, perhaps off of your take, who knows. But uh, these are, are, is Pat Light and Rob Bradford buying or selling when it comes to these items? All right. Sounds great. The first one, Mookie Betts, uh, after game one of the, his series, uh, NLDS, basically said that this is the most talented team that he's ever played on. Um, he didn't come out and say, this is absolutely the best team I ever played on, but he basically said this. He basically, this is the most talented team I ever played on. And as soon as you say that, you immediately go to the fact that Mookie Betts played for a 119-win Boston Red Sox team, which there had only been two other teams in the history of Major League Baseball to win more. By the way, I forgot Seattle. Seattle won more games, despite not even sniffing the World Series that year. So anyway... Bet says this, are you buying, are you selling that this Dodgers team is better than 2018 Red Sox? I'm selling. I think you can't, you, you can't, listen, I think the Dodgers team is extremely talented, but we can't be, we can't be ta- saying that if, until they win a World Series. You just, you just can't be doing that. This Dodgers team has been known in the last five years or so to make it to the World Series and be the habitual second place team, even though one of those teams was cheating apparently aggressively. Um, but you, you can't you can't be the be better than that 2018 Red Sox team until 
um, until you win a World Series. That's just that's the name of the game. Do they have a, an unbelievable amount of talent? Yes, of course they do. They're and I still think they probably win the World Series this year. They're steamrolling everyone right now. Even though the Padres showed some life last night, you know. But they have to win. There was 119 wins for that 2018 Red Sox team, and they won a World Series, and they won it pretty handily. They 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 went through that that that. Oh, uh, they, they rolled. I mean, people don't understand that. They like they rolled through the postseason. They yes. rolled through the postseason, and yeah, there were some. It could have gone this way or that way, but they rolled through the postseason. And we were talking about this before the podcast about some guys on that 2018 team, which you kind of need. Like, so Mookie's talking about, well, this state, there's one guy goes down and I'm going to call up another guy who throws a hundred. And yeah. the talent is just like, is embarrassing how much talent that they have, but that's not always what wins. And we talked about this before, like a guy like Sandy Leon, right. Who you used to throw to. Mm-hmm. One of us threw to Sandy Leon. Who knew? Who 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 was it? I, it was. I will let's say. I will. I will divulge that information. You threw to Sandy Leon. I have never Correct. thrown to Sandy Leon. I have. I have diagnosed his beard. I do feel like he did color his color his beard much like David Ortiz is doing now. David yes. Ortiz has the Sandy Leon level uh, Jeff for men black beard. Correct. You can, can you confirm that, that San Leone used to color his beard? I can confirm that. Okay. This is kind of a <laughs> weird thing. Thank you. Listen, uh, I can confirm. So you also threw to him. So you know what I'm saying? Like, there has to be guys like that, and there were guys like that. Yes. And I'm not saying there's not guys like that on this Dodger team. But we're talking about – we're not talking about – we're talking about who's a better team. Not a more talented team, not this, not that. Who is the best – who is a better baseball team? And I, you can't claim that you're better than that good of a Red Sox team. That Red Sox team, it goes down to the history books. That is, one, that is a really, really good team. And let's keep in mind, the World Series was almost their easiest series as far as competition was in that playoffs. That American League was unbelievable that year. Oh, I said they're, they're the best team. Who do you think? So I would say the best team in 2018 other than the Red Sox were the Yankees. That was their best. That was the toughest yes. game. Yankees were, I mean, and you talk about, on top of that Yankee team, you talk about going to Houston and beating Houston, who just won a World Series year before, and beating them in Houston. Like, this team, and beating them handedly. They weren't, they were that, the Red Sox team was clearly better than every team in the American League. And those teams were really good. So it, you can't, I don't, and maybe you can say, like, yeah, of course, they have Dustin May. They all these guys that come up and throw a million miles an hour. But listen, I threw a million miles an hour and I pitched five games in the big leagues. So it's not always what makes the a team as good as it is. But if and you only pitch for the Dodgers because they're so much only, smarter than anybody. Let's say, listen, let's if say, only I pitched for them. Hey, you know who, who was always smarter than everybody? Uh, the, the team that everyone thought was smarter than everyone was the Astros a few years back. So who knows what the Dodgers are doing right now? Well, <laughs> that's spicy. Um, you know, you you look at you know you look at the who they the Red Sox had to go through like you said you had to go through the Yankees and you had to go through the Astros, really the Padres are a nice story, the Padres and they are a good team but when you're going without your two of your best pitchers, yeah. I mean that's just not the the best representation of that team. So the Dodgers will win this series, yeah, um, and and then they play the Braves or the Marlins. And, like, come on. Braves. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. The Dodgers are right now, I think they'll do it, honestly, in back-to-back-to-back series. They're going to they're gonna show San Diego why they're not a World Series team yet. They're going to show the Braves why they're not a World Series team yet. And I think, personally, I think they're going to go to the uh, to the the Rays and show them why they're not a World Series team yet. I think this Dodgers team is just too good. And, again, you got two, you got a young team in San Diego, a young team in, in Atlanta. And then the Rays have some veteran, some veteran guys on their team. But – they're a fairly young team, too. I just think there's no one's competing with the Dodgers this year. But if the 2018 Red Sox were on the other side of the bracket, I think they, they would I would, they pick, would. I would pick the – that's what it comes down to, right? Who would you pick right now if you had to say this World Series, who was going to win? I would pick the 2018 Red Sox. So would I. Dodgers. So right. would I. Wow. Mookie Betts switched sides as well. Yeah, he has to say that. He can't not say that. No, I know that. I know. And you know what? He probably feels that way, too. Like, you, when yeah, you're in course. the middle of it – and when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is unbelievable. I can't you – yeah. know, this, uh, it's just like an embarrassment of riches. Well, anyway, <laughs> so the next buying, are you buying or are you selling? Manny Machado. 
So as we're taping this right now, uh, it's just less than uh, 24 hours since Manny Machado did another Manny Machado thing, which is like, I get, I am so, I know that I'm not alone in this, but Manny Machado is just baffles me. He just absolutely baffles me. And you go back to when he slid into Dustin Pedroia, and I know that was a big to-do, and it ended Pedroia's career. He, Pedroia hasn't talked to him since. Um, and then you go to when, you know, Sale threw at him. Uh, obviously, Red Sox fans love the fact that he was the last out of the World Series, but Manny Machado sure. is a villain. But, yep. and, and even you, before all that stuff, you have Manny Machado throwing the bat at the pitcher. Um, and in this case, what happened was Bruce Dark Gratterall, God bless his soul, Red Sox fans, could have been a Red Sox. Yep. Um, he celebrated a nice catch by Clay Bellinger, threw his hat in the air, and Machado took – Machado, who had just celebrated, like, with an unbelievable, like, you know, epic back bat flip, like, celebrating his home run. So, you know, he takes issue. He starts yelling. I love the fact that, you know, all the Dodgers, these guys who clearly hated Machado when he was playing for the Dodgers, start yelling back at him. And – uh, so Machado once again shows that he's an idiot, and and I don't you know I don't listen I don't know him personally, but I do know this he does idiotic things. Okay, yes. is that fair? That's very so, fair. Are you buying or selling that Manny Machado is an idiot? Oh, I'm buying it. Yeah, I'm buying it pretty. I listen. I, he's one of the few guys that causes this much of a ruckus in baseball that I actually have never heard something from someone who played with him. Uh, most of the times you hear things like behind the scenes, like he's one of those guys. Um, that you love to play with, but you hate to play against type of guy. Um, but like, listen, he, he, and I think you forgot. He also stepped on. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Aguilar. At first, yeah. Yeah. I said that at first base. So you, you have this guy that's just, he always surrounds it. He like, he embraces being the villain. You know what, you know what is Pat? Like not to interrupt you. I no, of course not. But, it's, I say this about A-Rod, and I actually wrote it as a lead to a story the other day. A-Rod, to me, was a guy that thought he was doing the right things, and he was always a little off. Like, yeah. he was always sliding in late. He was calling for pop-ups running around into the bases. He was swiping at Bronson Arroyo's glove. He was always a little off, even though he thought he was doing the right thing. Machado comes across as the same sort of guy. Yes, although I will say, in my playing days, I heard that A-Rod was an amazing teammate, and I, heard, and I have not heard the same about Machado. So I give A-Rod a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. I remember Phil Hughes, uh, when I played with him in Pittsburgh, told me, when I asked him, I always ask guys, because I, you know, I grew up in New Jersey watching the, that late 90s, early 2000 Yankee, Yankee teams, and, and obviously going against those Red Sox teams. Like, I watched these teams, so I'm always curious about them. And I remember asking Francisco Cervelli, asked all these guys, but Phil Hughes, what he said to me, he said, he said put it this way. I invited uh, A-Rod to my wedding. I didn't invite Derek Jeter. So, like, it shows that he played both the guys the same amount of time, and it just shows, like, where A-Rod was. So I give A-Rod the benefit of the doubt. Man, I've never heard a good thing about him ever in my entire playing career, in my entire life. I've never heard a good thing about him, and he always surrounds himself in these, these types of situations. I mean, think about how hypocritical it is of this San Diego team to get mad at someone for celebrating. Like they they bat flip like it's nobody's business. Like it's like the White Sox getting mad about someone celebrating. You can't. You, I can't you, even get my head around like why why he would think that that was a thing. And by the way, the reason spoiler alert the reason Cervelli actually liked A Rod because A Rod was paid him to be one of the people to hold up the sign supporting the Tabalco, uh trial. So uh, <laughs> just just listen, you have to be full disclosure here. Full disclosure. Uh, okay, uh, but but Machado is. Is a guy and he, by the way, when he was with the Dodgers, someone told me this, and I absolutely believe it, and I, I can't confirm or deny it was someone with the Dodgers, but they said, listen, we, we lucked out because we got just enough of Manny Machado to find out just enough about Manny Machado. Seriously. You know? I mean, they had got him for a couple months, helped him get to the World Series, and then we're like, ah. Because if you don't, if you don't know what you're getting – you pay what San Diego paid. Yep. And the Dodgers weren't going to do that. That's pretty telling. That is, it's very telling. The Dodgers team, who's looking to add talent to their team, did not open the, open the purse for them, for, that, for this guy that San Diego does. I, I wonder how he's getting along with those guys down there. How about – so as a pitcher, did you ever celebrate like that? Did you ever like – No. I'm a, I am a, 
I am not. I guess self-proclaimed you're, old school guy. I've always been that way. I like. So I like. Do you have a problem with what Gratterall did? No, I've, I'm a self-proclaimed old school guy. I don't think you should do that in May. But in the playoffs, I've always thought. You know, I thought that Jose Bautista bat flip was as epic. I was. How could you not go nuts at that moment? Like these are huge moments. But if you do it to me in the third inning and on, on May seventh. I'm be like, what do you, what's going on here? Why are you doing that? It's not part. This is not part of the game. So I think a friend of friend of the Bradford show, Alex Anthopoulos, said something along those lines when he was talking about the bad flip, um, at the at the the Brave situation. Yeah. He said he said, listen, when I was with the Blue Jays and Batista does a bad flip, you know, I'm telling my kids all you know to this day, you know, be respectful of the game, this and that, but. How can you not love that Batista bat flip in the middle of a playoff game? It's different. Yeah. Like he, and he said that. He's like, you listen, you try to teach everyone to do things the right way, but you know, there are times where you say, that's okay. And again, big emotion. I mean, look at, just look at the difference in crowds in Toronto during the Batista bat in the playoffs. And then when he would hit a same, similar home run again in, in June. You know, the, the crowd is like, oh, that's awesome. Ooh, yeah, we're excited. But in May, I thought they might storm the field. Or in the post, I thought they might storm the field. Yeah. Like, there are moments where they're allowed to do this. And I think the postseason, I think they, sh- they should be allowed to do it. And, I mean, again, San Diego is no one to talk. Machado yeah. earlier in the game threw a bat, you know, a 400 feet after a home run. So I, I, know. I, it's, I, I think bizarre. it's a little critical. It's bizarre. All right. Well, speaking of postseason versus regular season, Mike's on players, buying or selling, and I will go first on this one. I am absolutely selling the Mike's on the field. In other words – I think that as I wrote, it came to off, and obviously this stems off of the Ramon Laureano swearing in, in the middle and then having awkward conversation with the announcers. I have no problem in spring training. I have no problem in the, in the regular season. Cut and dry. It comes off as desperate for MLB to have yes. Mike's on players because, Pat, because if you can't have the postseason carry the conversation, then you really are in trouble. Yeah, I think I think the, I'm I, I'm with you on this. I'm selling this in the in the postseason. You can't you can't have guys fighting for wins in the postseason and trying to talk to the announcers in the, in the booth. It doesn't make any sense. It sounded again, awful. It sounded awful. And you get and you get those moments where they're so into the game that they drop the f bomb, and now he can't focus. On you, he's trying to see what pitch the guy's throwing and where he's going to be set, where the catcher's setting up, all these different types of things, and what hitters up. Now he's got to focus on you. If I'm a teammate, I'm pissed that you're trying to put a mic on one of my guys. If, if the center fielder and I'm pitching has a mic on and he gets a late jump because he's talking about some of that he had last inning, I'm going to be pissed about it. This is, these are big moments. You can't have it in the postseason. You just absolutely, under no circumstances, can have it. And God bless Jess Mendoza. She's a very nice person. Everyone says so. Yeah. I, unlistenable for me. This, I can't yeah. do it. I can't. She's, I can't. I can't do it. I mean, it's honestly, it, it's not, you know, it's because she's a woman, is a broadcaster. I, you know, I applaud, like, we obviously these NBA, NBA examples are awesome announcers. Mm-hmm. It's just that she, when she's breaking this down, she's stating the absolute obvious. She's stating yes. the absolute obvious. And to me, women, men, anything, that is where I'm out when it comes to announcers. Yeah, I mean, you're, you, I mean, that's why you bring ex-players in. That's why you bring some of these people that have such a knowledge of the game that they're giving insight that you wouldn't normally think of yourself. Uh, and uh, Jess, I don't know her personally. I, I've heard great things about her. Very nice person. Uh, but you also have to consider also – most people – I know softball and baseball have a lot of parallels. You also have to consider it is a different game. You play that game differently than you play the game of baseball. So, just, you know, to bring someone on, she's – Definitely got to learn nuances of baseball that she doesn't know. And that's why you bring in ex-baseball players to talk because we've been ingrained in this for, you know, however many years. The, the nuances are second nature to us, and we can take those nuances to another level for the fans. Well, it's like, I don't think she's able to do Well, that. it's like, you know, I think that, like, that case with Oriana where, where, where he says, fuck, and I'm like, you know, immediately you're like, oh, so tell me exactly what was going through your head as you just threw that ball in. And you yes. say – did, did any expletives come into your head, Ramon? And, <laughs> and instead, it was just this awkward, how are the kids? Um, yes. So anyway, we don't want to get off track here. I think we're on the same page when it comes to mics on players. Yes. Speaking of the postseason, somebody who's still playing. And this is a tough one for me to get my head around. Um, George Springer 
to the Red Sox. George Springer is a free agent. Mm-hmm. Let me just lay this out for you, okay? Maybe this will help. I, although you, uh, maybe you already have it in, entrenched in your head that you either want George Springer, you're buying on George Springer, you're selling on George Springer. Okay. Red Sox need a leadoff hitter. Okay. Red Sox preferably need a right-handed outfield, hitting right outfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, George Springer's from the Northeast. He might prioritize the, as you are, um, he might prioritize the Red Sox, much like you did. Um, and what else? George Springer is a good defensive, is a legit center fielder. Yep. Um, George Springer is considered a good guy to have in a clubhouse. So all of that said, buying or selling on George Springer, I have a hard time buying on him. I do. I just, I can't, thir- oh, 31 years old, 31 years old, going to be looking for that money, going to be looking for those years as he should. And that's, that's a tough one. I, like if you can get him on a three-year deal, which I don't think you can. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm sorry. That's my buyer selling. What's your buyer selling? You know, it, this is honestly, we have a list here. We're talking here. This is probably the toughest one for me too. I think, I think it would be nice to have George Springer at the top of our lineup. Uh, it'd be amazing. I, I would really enjoy having the guy there. I've heard you know, I play, he played with Matt Barnes over at Connecticut. Yeah. I, and Matt has not has only said amazing things about the guy. Um, like literally, not a single bad word has ever left Matt Barnes's mouth about George Springer. Um, so you know, maybe it would it probably be good for Matt too to have the guy because maybe Matt Matt would love him. Maybe start th- throwing 115, and we have an amazing closer on our hands. Uh, but it's hard for me to wrap my head around it too. I also am extremely biased towards hating the Astros right now. So wanting to bring one of them into Boston kind of gives me a little cringe. Um, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to side with you on this. I'm going to say, I'm going to sell it. I don't, I don't want it. We're going to spend a lot of money to get him, And I just, I don't think he's worth that for the Red Sox. I don't well, think that's, that's welcome to free agency. Yeah, I know. But I think, like I said, I, and I talked to this on, if you follow me on Twitter at all, you know where my head's at on, in, in Boston. It's I, we need starting pitching. Our hitting's good. We have good hitters. We, uh, could we use George Springer? Of course, it'd be great. But I want to be, be spending money in starting pitching. And, and we need it. We need guys that can stay healthy. We need guys out there because how many times this year did Boston go down, you know, four runs in the first two innings? And, and we're fighting. The, yeah, we're, so it was we're the worst starting pitching in the history of starting pitching. Yeah. I think I might have been able to do better out there, which is a problem. I've been throwing, throwing a baseball in two That's years. Did you start? When did you start? Did I started you... up until 2015. I was, I, when I, they sent me to Portland in 2015, I became a reliever. Okay. All right. Did you like that? You said that's not where the money's at. No, actually, speaking, of, we're going to speak of the shirt later. But uh, Boris Corp uh, called me and called Boston and was wanting to make sure that the plan was closer because they said that oh. when, you hit, when you hit arbitration and when you hit free agency, if you're not a closer, you're too expensive for your job. They'll bring in younger guys that can do it for cheap. Uh, so that's like that's the thought process when you when you become a reliever is you got to be a closer, otherwise you might not hang around that long. And we're actually seeing it in today's game. I love it. I love it. I love the fact of like, I remember Daniel Bard overtly saying when he was going from 2011, the end of 2011, I want to start. And one of the reasons is like, he, you are going to find a smarter guy than Daniel Bard. Right? He's a really, really smart guy. He said, I want to start because that's where the money's at. Seriously. You know, that, that's where the money's at. That is, it's, not, it's not wrong, though. No. I mean, don't you think Darwin's and Hernandez is saying, I don't, I don't know who his agent is, but Darwin's and Hernandez's agent is doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, God, God yeah, that's the money's, in, money's in starting. I am so fat. I am so fat. This is a whole nother podcast. I am so fascinated about that dynamic. I remember when Scott was calling about Daisuke, he had Daisuke, mm-hmm. and he was wearing out John Farrell, who was a pitching coach at the time, about like, you got to do this and you got to do that. You got to do this. Anyway, we'll get to that a little bit. We'll that. A few things in that, in that whole thing that we're going to get to. So, yes. along the lines, this is a good segue. Well, man, I put this list this is a great segment. very well. Oh, this is a great segment. I, I was about to talk about this, and I was like, I'll bite my tongue until the next great, one. Great, great. That, that's why you're a pro. So, <laughs> opener in the postseason. Okay. My take, and obviously the Yankees brought this to the forefront in, in, in bringing in Jay Happ after an inning, 
I did a post off this and immediately, immediately I thought of the scenario. We had Rich Hill on the podcast in 2018 after the World Series and everyone was hyper-focused on game four where Dave Roberts took him out after six and a third inning cruising. Obviously it, it ends up being awful for the Dodgers. But Rich said that really the, the bigger thing was that the night before that game, the night before that game, they told him they didn't know if he was going to start. They said, we don't know. We, we might start out with a reliever and then have you come in. This is the night before on regular rest. You're getting ready for game four of the World Series, and you tell him this. Not till the next morning did he know he was going to start. So I immediately thought of this because after seeing Jay Happ's comments, I'm like, this is the same deal, except the difference is the Yankees actually did it. You have Jay Happ, who's had a pretty good year, who, uh, who basically, you know, who is good against lefties and righties, and I know Rays can stack the lineup one, one way or the other. He's ready to go, and they're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to bring you in. It is classic overthinking. And the other part of this, and I'm already giving my selling on this, but the classic, classic example of in the postseason, I don't care if the Rays were 9-1 when using the opener this year. I don't care. The postseason is if you have a starter, you start him. If you don't, if you're like the Padres and you're scrambling, that's fine. But if you have – do not overthink it because one of the reasons for me, Pat, is that, that all it takes in the postseason against these postseason lineups is one bad pitcher against a bunch of good hitters. Like we saw it a couple of years ago when Oakland tried to do it in their wild card game against the Yankees. I think it was actually 2018. They tried doing this. And against that lineup – you're running out all these guys, and one of them had a bad day, and it ends up in a couple home runs games old. Postseason's different. If you have the guy, run him out there, buying or selling. Listen, let me before I get started, are you buying or selling in general, too? I, I'm asking your take on opener in general. Are you, are you buying or selling for the regular season? I want to know that. I, I think it all comes down to if you can find a starter, you do it. Thanks. Because Thanks. you know what? You know, I don't think managers can do it. Like, I don't think – I don't think Ron Renneke was equipped when this season started to do it. They, they talked about, well, Heim Bloom's coming in today, and we're going to go, and we're going to learn how to use the opener. Like, huh? What? Like, and, and by the way, then they have to do it with two different guys. So, yes. so you have to, if you have a guy, you have to prioritize having the guy. It comes back to, this is, I'm going to date myself. In 2000, how old were you in 2003? 2003, I was 12. 12, all right. So you were just coming into your fandom of baseball, and yes. you said you were probably saying, what the hell are the Red Sox doing closer by committee? What is this closer by committee thing? And I remember Theo, because here, I wrote a book. Everyone could buy it for a dollar on, Chasing, uh, on uh, Amazon, Chasing Steinbrenner, where I followed around Theo Epstein his first year in Boston. And he said that everybody's going to be doing this. Everybody's going to be doing the closer by committee. Well, there's a couple of problems with this. And this, just bear with me because this, is, this merges with what we're talking about with the opener. It's number one, managers don't know how to do it. They, it they, they, they know how to do it a certain way, but they don't know how to do this, at least on a regular basis. And the other thing is the human element. Jay Happ, yeah, he has relieved before. Sure. He actually did this against the Rays last September, but it was a meaningless game. So, yeah, they can do it. But guys, relievers, starters, they like, and you know this better than anybody, they like to, like to know what they're going to do. And once they lock in what they're going to do, they want to continue to do it. So there you go. There's my speech. Listen, I'm selling aggressively. I've sold the opener from day one, and I think it is an absolute hypocrisy. I absolutely hate the opener in all aspects of the game. It is this is, again, as baseball players, we call them the nerds. We have, these are the nerds in the front office telling us how to play the game. And if we, go, if we dive even further into it, if you're looking at a set of data and making a, making a prediction on how things will, will work out, you are, you're forgetting the human element, which you just talked about. And you're forgetting that you're changing the game. by You're changing people's roles when you do these things. So the data is no longer that indicative of what's going to happen later. It's just not how the game works. 
And when you do these things, and the uh, thing about me, as we just talked about me, as 2014 was this, I'm a failed starter, and that's why I become a reliever. If you have guys who made it to the big leagues as starters and have pitched a considerable amount of time in the big leagues as a starter, you start them. They're better pitchers than us as relievers. We can only do an inning at most. And again, the guys you have the most, um, the most uh, confidence in that bullpen, you're not putting in the first inning. You're not throwing Chapman out there. No. You're throwing these, these, these guys that are they're okay. Who, who they started? They, start, they started some Garcia guy or something like that, yeah, right? Davey Garcia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's our Garcia. And, again, the Rays are doing it tonight with Thompson. Um, but you, you do, these guys are not meant to be in the first inning of the game. They're not. They're not meant to be there. You have a starter who's on a routine, who knows how to get ready for a game, and now all of a sudden now he's warming up to maybe you know, he's got the second inning or maybe comes in the third inning. Where, where is he coming in? He's not really sure. Is he coming into a middle of an inning? Is he not? These starters are not meant for that. And, again, J-Hab is, has done it before. But these guys are not meant to do that. This is why you don't do it with shirts or you don't do it with Garrett Cole. Not to mention you never do it with those guys anyway. But they were never allowed anyway because they, they have a routine. This is how they do this is how their entire day goes. And their routines, keep in mind, start at, at 2 p.m., 1 p.m. for a 7 o'clock game. They don't start at 6 where they can just get, oh, we'll just push it back to 6.30. You know, we're, they're starting the routine now. It's completely changing the aspect of the game. And I, it's, I think it's stupid. I think – you know, I think um, I forget which which uh, commentator said it, but they're going to look back on Game Two as the reason the Yankees end up losing this series. By the I way, think the Yankees, the Yankees shouldn't be doing like of all the teams, like the amount of money that you have put into the starting rotation. And by the way, like you have you have young starters that you could roll out there. Like, the, the, of all teams, they they shouldn't be doing this. And it's funny you bring it up. You said like you're the nerds, and so you have two entities that probably hate this or i know hate it the players and the agents mm-hmm. right? seriously i mean this is it, it's it's, yeah. it's too much rob it's too much it's thinking too much it's going to the game too much i i still believe that it, we need to get some more baseball people in the front office we need to get guys that have played the game that have a better understanding of all of this because again look at we're going to openers here like openers i know the rays use it well used it well but at the same time remember the rays are using it they're a low budget team they're, they're throwing anything at the at the wall that'll stick and, hope and, by the, and by the way they've been doing it like they're made they've constructed their team to do it from the manager kevin cash who clearly knows how to do it Mm-hmm. to to the type of arms that they're they're getting in there fine that's fine but it's the old thing it's like just because they're doing it doesn't mean and it seems like since they did it like now we have a myriad of other teams including the red sox who were trying to do it to begin the year forget about all these injuries and everything else for the starting pitching like they were going to do this anyway they were. They were. And I also, you also talk about the old way of the game, and I think it goes a lot back to how we're developing pitchers now in the minor leagues. You know, where are all these guys? You know, we, we used to have amazing starting pitching in Major League Baseball. Like, you always have these great pitchers. And now we have a couple, but we're, now we're trending towards starters going four innings. Like, how many times do we see a starter go four innings this, you know, in a year? Like we never see these guys going seven, eight innings anymore and, and bridging the gap to the closer. And I think it's because we're developing pitchers in, in, a, in a bad way. I think we have people that aren't – that don't know how to get these guys to a better level. And, and also, and, and you would agree with – it amps up like the, it becomes even more ludicrous in the postseason, though, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. It's, it's entirely too much – overmanaging to the nth degree – in, in postseason baseball. It always has been. It's been that way for a little while now. You know, you're bringing in people for lefty-lefty matchups feel like in the third inning. <laughs> like, yeah. It's been over. It always is overmanaging. And a lot of times they blame so much on the manager because they've done this. And they're blaming it again uh, in New York right now. I'm sure there's you know, people coming down from up top telling them to do it. But it is always overmanaging in postseason because there's so much on the line. All right. Speaking of, of someone who doesn't overmanage, it's Pat Light. Who, nope. man, who has to manage his, what is the name of your bar? Green Rock. Green Rock. I should yes. know that. I'll edit that. So it's okay. like, oh, of course, I know that. Green Rock. <laughs> um, but you did tweet out that you had a fight at your bar. And everyone, this is a, a brief respite from, I guess, the hardcore baseball talk for a second. But you had a fight in your bar, which I immediately thought of, okay, I've seen fights in bars. I don't, have you ever been in a fight in a bar? No. Okay. 
I never have either. But you, but you had a fight in your bar last night? Uh, Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. And you've been part of baseball fights? I've been a part of one okay. baseball fight. I've never been many. Yeah, not many. Okay. So which would you rather be a part of? Or, no, no, no. I got to phrase this better. Buying or selling? Yeah. A, a bar fight is more uncomfortable more no more uncomfortable than a baseball fight so in other words if you're selling you think a baseball fight is more uncomfortable than a bar fight so okay. basically i'm saying which is more uncomfortable a bar fight or a baseball fight to be a okay. part of the I, so i've only been i've never been involved in a bar fight um did you have to break this one up no i don't jump into those things anymore right, i did like, i did you know earlier on in my my owning career um, but I don't jump into them anymore. I realize I pay bouncers for that and I don't want to be any part of that. I, I, am never, I'm not a fighter. If you guys, if, if you don't know me already, I, I'd never, I, when I go to a bar, one of my customer days, I would go, I'd sit in the corner, I'd drink a few drinks and I'd make excuses at the end of the night why no girls talk to me. So that, that was my life. But this guy happened to want to punch one of my bouncers in the face. So then he gets dragged out by actually carried out by seven bouncers. Um, Is he a big guy? The eh, not really. No, he wasn't that big. Yeah. Just you know, beer muscles. Yeah, uh, my bouncers are enormous. Yeah, um, a lot of them are my height or bigger, and you know, got two hundred pounds on me. So it's not the smartest idea to do it. Um, but honestly, the more uncomfortable one that it would be baseball. I did it in Puerto Rico. Alex Cora was my manager in two thousand fifteen in in Puerto Rico winter ball, and I threw at a guy because I was told to. And uh, he charged the mound, and with, but he brought his bat. That was horrifying. Oh, you're kidding me. He brought his bat. Yeah, honestly, fun fact. I actually might have talked to you pretty recently during this because it, that, that afternoon, that early that morning, uh, um, who's the farm director over in Boston right now? I'm ben Crockett. Ben Crockett. Ben Crockett had called me and put me on the 40-man. And then that night, I get into a bench clearing brawl. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah crazy never really never came out who, who was the guy do you remember uh, just a Ozzie, guy it was ozzy something okay uh he he was he played for the orioles at the time not in the big leagues in triple a uh, he bounced around quite a bit and apparently he was a very nice guy okay <laughs> from what i understand i like the he, person he the, the so what happens in puerto rico though by the way is the guys let the guy run at me usually in in, in, in american baseball the first base and third base and converge and the pitcher's pretty much out of there pretty quickly. In Puerto Rico, because it's all Puerto Rican guys and a couple Americans, they just hold your hold people back so you don't get blindsided. But it's a free-for-all fight between me and him. And he came with the bat. And I was like, dude, you can't run at me with the bat. Supposedly he told one of his buddies that he apologized to me and that he came with the bat because I was huge. And if I charged him, he would have died. So <laughs> that Wait, so, was the that's So how far did he get? Like he's running to the mound with a bat. He got on. He got onto the dirt of the mound with so a bat. So what did you do? Did you run away? I backed up. Yeah. I backed. I backed up a little bit. Looked at him, being like, I probably yelled, you know, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and backed up. And then everyone was calling me names from the other team. I was like, do you see this guy's got a bat? I'm not going at him. I'm not going to fight the guy with a bat. Um, oh, they were questioning your manhood. Yeah, he took threw the bat away when he got to the mound, realized oh. that I wasn't going to kill him. And then when he got – he took his helmet off and hit me with his helmet. Um, and then I got pulled out of there, and then he got pulled out of there, and it was nothing. Uh, but it was, that was crazy, man. I would have run away. Like, like it's, there is no shame in running away from a guy <laughs> who is coming at you with a bat. There's, There's no shame in it at all. I backed up, wanted to keep eyes on him. But, I, I, yeah, if you kept coming with the bat, I probably would have ran away. <laughs> absolutely you can't because you can't really go in for the joe kelly you know come on let's go yeah no. if put it this way if tyler austin is running at joe kelly with a bat i actually i take that back joe's a little crazy so he might yeah, he's a little crazy he might like hit me with a bat i don't care yeah. <laughs> but it's but yeah i i do not begrudge you if i would not begrudge you for running away so that is a great story and uh i am 
I, I am assuming you're so you are I can't remember buying or selling, but you're saying the baseball's more uncomfortable. It's more comfortable. Yeah. So have you I never been it was selling. Yeah, you've never you've never been part of like a hey, I'm in the bullpen and there's a brawl and we gotta run in and I don't remember ever running in, so no, I don't think so. I can't remember uh, my, my my time in, in big leagues was short and the minor leagues they don't really have brawls all that much. No one uh, who's trying to get to the big leagues, no one has any personal vendettas against people. Well also like you, you to talk about burying the lead, Alex Cora telling you to throw at throw at the guy. Oh man! So it wasn't Alex. Alex, oh. Alex, Alex. Just you know, Alex is Alex is very, and you know him. He's very calm, cool, collective, and he he just he wants he really wants to know what you're going to do, how you're going to react. Are you going to protect your own players or not? So it was understood that I should be throwing at this guy without ever words being spoken that I should be throwing at this guy. Um, so he never, he never explicitly said, hey, throw at him. But Alex had already been tossed from the game because uh, Johnny Monell Jr. I don't, I don't know if he's a junior. I think he is. But Johnny Monell, who, who was a catcher for the Mets at the time, had been thrown at. Um, and so it was understood that I was to throw at someone. Uh, but he didn't have to say it. It was just understood that I had to do it. Do you remember, speaking of your buddy Barnes, um, do you remember the uh, Pedroia Machado thing? This is full circle, circle yeah, of life. Threw, threw Machado's head or something like that. Well, so what happened was Friday night, Machado slides into Pedroia, right? Like people can defend Machado, whatever. It was a stupid slide. I mean, he slid like an hour too late. Literally, like that was it for Pedroia, his career. Yeah. So the next day, Stephen Wright is the starter. So they're basically saying the first – it was passed along, from what I understand, the first pitcher to come in after Wright is going to drill Machado. But, but the game was close. So Farrell says no, no. And this was like – so the next day, that's when Barnes has to do this, right? Barnes does it. And – I don't think that Matt, he's a, like you know, I'm like he's a nice guy. Yep. My guess is that at that point he hadn't been asked to throw at a lot of guys because he seemed very uncomfortable doing it. Yes. Wait, am I accurate? Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, but when Pedroy is yelling, you know, it's it's not me, it's them. It's basically there was a frustration that the original plan wasn't carried out, and then it had sort of gone to the slump. Yeah, but also, if I remember correctly, at least the rumor down Triple A wasn't wasn't Eddie Rodriguez pitching one either the day of of the slide and he did or not? Yeah, and he was supposed and, to though. So he I might be getting it mixed up. Stephen Wright was pitching. Maybe it was the next day. I don't know. But, but Rodriguez was. He didn't. I don't think he wanted to throw at. Yes, that was my understanding as a player. Was that Matt Barnes had it had it fell on the sword. And it was later in the game, and it, it should never have happened that late. It should have happened much earlier than that, well, but it was Eddie Rodriguez's screw-up. Well, it was also they, they had called off the code red, and that pissed off some, some of the players. I know that. Anyway, throwing at throwing – at, well, that's a whole other podcast. The art of – That is a whole other podcast. What? Yeah, that is. Uh, yes. Okay. All right, speaking of pitching, buying or selling, looping on back into the, the on the field, like the nuts and bolts. Yep. Tanner Houck, Nick Pavetta. Both were like Cy Young Award winners. They both won the last week and a half of the season Cy Youngs, correct? Yep, correct. Buying or selling on those two? If you've got to buy, if you're the Red Sox, you have to figure this out. You have to figure out if you're buying or selling. Not to say you're going to release them or trade them, but this is going to get to something we're going to talk about later, whether or not you're going to actually say, okay, I believe these guys are going to be good, so maybe I don't have to spend as much money or trade for this guy or that guy, buying or selling on those guys. Pavetta, he just hasn't shown in his career. Like, I, can't, I can't buy on the guy. I know he had a great week and a half, but you know, I had a lot of – like I said, I always go back to myself when I make fun of people. I had a great week and a half plenty of times, and I found myself out of baseball, you know, a couple months later. So it's – I can't buy on Pavetta at all. He's – I'm actually not going to buy on either of them, honestly. I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to buy on either of them, and they're not World Series guys. You know, Red Sox are a World Series city. And this is what we're looking for. This is not – we're not a Rays organization hoping some random guy sticks. We're, we're trying to win a World Series. So 
I'm not buying on either of them. We need to go out. We need to make. I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna try to throw, put together teams in the next couple of years that aren't going to compete, and we're gonna do maybe the bloom model. I'm not sure what we're looking at here. But if we're not really trying to compete, yeah, go for it. Let them throw out there, see if they can become something. But if we're trying to win a World Series in the next year or two, these guys are these guys aren't going to get us there. So you know I'm one sorry. of my my favorite sayings is sometimes you have to pay for certainty. Sometimes yeah. you have to pay for certainty. You After Laster left, they said, well, we, we think that Wayne Miley, we think that Clay Buchholz, we think that Joe Kelly, we think that Rick Porcello, we think that um, I'm missing a guy. Oh, Justin Masterson. We mm-hmm. think that they're going to be top of the rotation guys. But, but David Ortiz retires. We think that all these guys are going to step up and be a little bit better. No. Sometimes you just have to pay for certainty. Yes, and I think in this case, like, it's okay to, like, take a flyer on these guys. I'm with you. Like, Pavetta, you have over 70-something starts, and you have a five-and-a-half ERA. You need more than a week and a half. Yeah, you, you are who you are. Tanner Houck, the thing that concerns me, and, I, you know, I loved watching him pitch, but the thing that concerned me was all we heard about with the split finger. The split finger is going to be the, the magic elixir to get lefties out, and he got lefties out, but he never used that split finger. Like, he, yeah. he was a two-pitch pitcher. And so, like, here's a question I have for you. So, with both these guys, so I'm, I am, uh, and this with all oh, the tip of the chapeau to the Section 10 guys doing the ice horse thing with Michael Chavis and everything. I am not yeah. stepping on their territory. But as soon as I heard Brevetta, I'm like Seabiscuit. You ever see the movie Seabiscuit? I have seen the movie. It's been many years, though. Okay. So, at the end of the movie, he basically says, you know, I think it, I'm paraphrasing, but he's talking about the horse. He's like, not only did, you know, he fixed – He it wasn't just about us fixing him. He fixed all of us, and we mm-hmm. all fixed each other. There's Nick Pavetta. We all fixed each, each other. We, we fixed him. He fixed us. He is going to be my sea biscuit until otherwise, uh, you know, print up the hats and the T-shirts. So – but still, I, I'm like, you have a great point. You have to look at it. You have to look at it. Would you run that guy out in an important situation? And right now, you just can't say that you, you would. No, this is this is there's a reason why these team when when the when the Red Sox suck or when when any team in baseball sucks, it's a great time to bring up young guys. There's no pressure. There's no you know. I remember when I first pitched in the big leagues. You know, my first game was in Houston, and I was supposed to come in with bases loaded, two outs in on Sunday night baseball against Houston Astros. They didn't want to, but I was the last guy out there. They had to. And eventually, Heath, Heath Henry got out of the inning, and then I pitched in Atlanta the next – I think the next day or the day after, and David Price threw, like, you know, 15, 15 strikeouts, eight innings. We're up 11 to 1 or something like that. And that's the perfect time for, for a young guy. The vet, he can almost look like as a young guy because, again, he's got 70, 70 – you know, whatever. He's, how many innings he's got in the big leagues? He's got a five. Like, he is the guy who he is. If you're going to claim that you're changing him, you gotta look at him as a rookie now, and that, or he, or he's seed biscuit. He's fixing people. But is that a good one. I mean, I feel like it's it a is, good one. if it works. But I need, it, I, I need a test audience, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if if he comes through, yeah, it's a great one. Um, but I just, again, most of the time, more times than not, guys are who they are after that many. How many? Years. How many times did uh, they they try to fix you? And they're like, this is oh. what we, this is what we do, right? This is like. And this is, this is where I think that baseball is in a very dangerous place in terms of these acquisitions. It's not what you did. It's what we think you're going to do if we just tweak a little bit here, tweak a little bit there. My guy Seabiscuit is the first perfect example of this. Like, yes. He is like, well, we know that what you did, but if we did this and we spent a month down at Pawtucket and we did this and look at the results. So, Mike, how many times did someone try to fix you? Oh, you can't imagine – I had, I'm not going to put anyone on blast here, but the reason I ended up with control, but if you don't, I don't know if you follow my minor league career at all. In 2014, I walked like 25 people in 130 innings. And then the very next year in, in, um, as a reliever, I walked like 56 guys in 55 innings. There's a reason for that, that people don't know about. Like there are, there are things that happen, conversations that happen that should never have happened with me. That you're trying to tweak something, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do that. Oh, let's focus on this, let's focus on that. And next thing you know, I'm not even the guy I used to be. Like, and I still to this day think I could have been a starter in the big leagues. But when I first got to the Red Sox, they, my splitter was my out pitch. That was always been my out pitch. That's my out pitch in the big leagues. That's always been the thing. And they're like, no, nope, can't throw it. So now they, they let me go out there for two and a half years 
without my out pitch as a starter. And they wondered why I had a four or five in high A. I can't, once I get to two strikes, once I get to, you know, I can't get anyone out. I don't have an out pitch. So it's like, it's just, it's, this is the, how baseball operates though. And the problem is worse than ever. Huh? It's worse than ever. I know because these guys down, these guys down in the, in the minor leagues, they're coaches. They're trying to get to the next level, trying to get to the big leagues. If they can claim that they fixed so-and-so or that they made their mark on so-and-so, it turns from them being a triple-A pitching coach to, oh, he's a candidate for the Indians. We, he, I think we could, he could do what he did with that guy. He could help our guys. And now, and that's what it turns into. Instead of letting some of these guys ride and be the pitchers they are, they got to make their mark on guys. And now we're, we're, I think we've seen a lot of talent that we never will see that we're not Hall of Fame guys, but really good, could be really good pitchers in the big leagues that we'll never see because of things like this. Well, the, podca- and, the podcasting world is the big winner because of it. The, the <laughs> big winner. <yes. laughs> uh, by the way, the loop back to the Boris calling about when, when you were made a reliever. What, what, yeah. could they, like, I, I give a lot of credit for saying that, but what's, what did they say? Wait, what could they have possibly said? Oh, yeah, no, he's going to be our closer. Like, well, luckily, the Red Sox had already had that opinion. That Sherrington at the time wanted – that's what they – apparently, that's according to Ben Sherrington, that's what they had drafted me for. Um, they had drafted me for they, with that purpose in mind. They thought that, you know, okay. big fastball, the split – they didn't really like my slider, which I don't like my slider. They, they liked the splitter. They, they just – that's what they anticipated me anyway. They really, in their view, were really only starting me the first couple of years to just get a lot of innings under my belt and make sure, and just learn how to pitch a bit, a bit more. Um, so it wasn't really taking a conversation, but that's what, that's what Scott's good at. Scott oh, yeah. is, is as respected as it gets in Major League Baseball. And he's got a lot of GMs that will just listen to him. So when he calls and says, hey, listen, this guy's a closer, he can pull some weight. And, and do that. I don't think Scott does it for anyone. I don't think he'll do it for guys he doesn't believe actually could be closers or could be whatever he's, he's pushing on teams. But that's his job. He's an agent. He's, he's there to go get us more money. And he wants to make sure that his guy that he thinks should be a closer is going to be a closer and these GMs aren't going to screw it up. All right. I got, I got another Boris question, but I'm going to save yeah. it to the last, the last topic. We got a few more to get through. Buying or selling. This crack, crank through these two free agents. Okay. Um, DJ LeMayhew. Buy or sell them for the Sox or yes, the Red Sox. Um, I mean, I, I have to buy. I know he's going to cost a lot of money, and but it'd be lovely to take him from the Yankees. He's a phenomenal hitter. He is great. We're having that second base hole right now. I, I hate that Petey's coming to an end. I mean, what an error he had there. So you uh, you rather you rather allocate that money and allocate those resources over you know, Christian Arroyo has a good, had a good run. Um, you have Jeter down sitting there, like you know. Obviously, they think that he's he's the number one prospect in in the system right now, um, but still a little bit ways away, probably. But you have some pieces there. Like I guess those two are really the pieces. Yep. You rather allocate the resources because DJ Mayhew is that good. Like we're saying, we, we you, you pay for certainty. Am I am I going to wait there and hope that Jeter Downs becomes the guy that we all think he's going to be? Or Owag is not really all things to me. I think he's going to be a good player. I'm not sure he's going to be DJ LeMahieu. DJ LeMahieu good. But that's tough to say. But uh, I, I think you pay for certainty. But, again, you only do this. This is coming from a guy who wants to go win a World Series next year because um, I think we have a good line. We still have a good lineup. I think we can get some starting pitch. We might have a good, a good place. We could be in a good spot. But I, if we're going to try to win a World Series next year, I think he's a guy that could, that could really help us do that. By the way, you sorry. Your prediction of the Red Sox winning the World Series was just a little off. Just, um, you know, it wasn't that far. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, in fairness, I also predicted Ryan Weber to win the Cy Young. I mean, he almost became the first. Lo- if he just was only a long reliever, he may have won the Cy Young. He may have <laughs> won the Cy Young. I had a Cy Young vote this year, by the way. You did? Uh, yeah. I mean, it was easy. I mean, the, the number one was easy. Two through five, because you vote for five. Yeah. That wasn't, but that's a different conversation for a different day because I'm yeah. not allowed to talk about it. Uh, so your guy, buyer selling on Trevor Bauer, the guy who is, who is. Um, I want to write about this because initially I was like, oh, what a kind of an asshole. He's like trolling everyone on Twitter with like, you know, hey Boston, I'm coming to town. Are you up? And and now he's doing it with the Yankees, the Padres, and the Astros. But now I'm kind of like, I can't be a hypocrite. You know, we need personality in baseball, I and mean, this yeah. is what it's about. But that aside, you buying or selling on 
doing what it takes to get Trevor Bauer here? Salon. Okay. I don't he, – he hasn't had that great of a career. This isn't – this isn't uh, – you know, he had a great year this year, don't get me wrong. But he's pitching the NL Central, not a notoriously amazing hitting uh, uh, league. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not on the Bauer train. I think he's, uh, he comes with a lot. Uh, again, I like, I like personality in baseball, too. He's doing a great job of trying to get the you know, hitters pip home runs off him so then he can do it when he strikes them out. Like, I, listen, we're, we're, that's the word baseball is trending, so I'm, I'm, I'm on board. But, you know, he's got a career like – he had like a career four. You know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, this is not Scherzer. This isn't Garrett Cole. This isn't some of these, you know, Clayton Kershaw. Um, this is, this is Trevor Bauer. He, he's the, he's the, he's the best of a bad bunch. Yeah. He's yeah. Trevor Bauer. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm not going to spend, a, we're going to have to spend a lot of money based off that year he had, because that's how everyone projects people is on their, the year right before free agency. We're going to spend a lot of money and I'm not convinced he can do what he did last year in the ALEs. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, um, the Pavetta approach and see what you've done over the duration of your career. And that hasn't been phenomenal. It's been, it's been, it's been a a career for ERA guy. And I think we're going to pay for a career, you know, two, five, three ERA guy because of the year he had this year. And I don't, I don't think he's worth that. I'm with you. John Lester, bring him back. Bring him back. I bring Bardo back too. Oh Yeah. Bring them well, all how, back, baby. How did his, I didn't even see – I should know this. Like, how did his numbers ended up okay, right? Honestly, I should know this too. I can bring it up real quick. But I know he was doing pretty good in the beginning of the year. The guy oh, was yeah. amazing. Like, one of the best people of all time. I, you can't not love that guy. Oh, yeah. Like, like I said, in, in terms of when I rank the best quotes that I've ever had, I mean, he was one of the more intelligent guys. Always, like, he actually, like – he's one of these guys who would stop and actually think about it and then give you an answer. Yeah. That, that's, that's always appreciated. By the way, 23 games, four and two, three, six, five ERA, 24.2 innings pitched, 27 strikeouts, 1.3 whip. And how many walks? Let's get into that. He had like an obscenely low number of walks at one point. That's 2009. I don't want 2009. <laughs> it's been a game a long time. He Where was – in two, like 2009, he was a legit weapon. Like he was a – he was a weapon before we knew what setup weapons were. He, that guy, I remember because I was in, I was in uh, rehab with him. I, I did my hamstring the same year that he got sent down for a few physical things, but more mental things. 2012. Um, 2000, 2000, 2012, but 2013 was when I tore my hamstring. He was okay. down there with me. Yeah. And that guy, I still, you know, because I, in my career ended because of my control issues. So I was kind of curious this year. I was going to, I was going to text him and be like, Hey, listen, any tips for me? Maybe I can come back. Um, but the, the guy, the guy was always just like, no, you just, you know, cause I remember when they were telling him he's moved from on, depending on lefty righty batters, he was moving from one side of the rubber to the next. Mm-hmm. That would talk about overmanaging as a starter. That's what the Boston Red Sox had him doing. And yeah, talk about overmanaging, right? I mean, that whole thing was a mess. An, an absolute mess. But he, he, to, to his point, to the, and you know Daniel, to, his, to Daniel Bart, he never once blamed the Red Sox. I told him in the hot tub after one of our, we were both had just finished pitching, we were in the hot tub, and I told him, I was like, you know, what a-holes. Like, you know, are you kidding me? That's what, they're, they're going to do that to you? Like, is that's going to mess up with anyone. Your release points are different. No matter how big or small that rubber is, if you're over here or over there, the release points are different, and you have to change. Any any good manager in baseball is just go lefty righty, lefty righty, lefty righty on this guy. Make him keep changing all the entire. Never let him get comfortable. And sure enough, I'm, I mean, I don't know that if they did that or they didn't do that, but Bard Bard didn't have the career he should have had. My two takeaways is absolutely there has to be a segment, tales from the hot tub, right? <laughs> absolutely. And There's second so- of all, second of all, next week. If you were part- participate, we will have yes. Daniel part on, and we can have uh, we can basically simulate tales from the hot tub of you and Daniel Bard on at the yeah, same time. Listen, we had we had some good times. He was my he was my buddy. Like he, we we would uh, we played golf together every day. Like and keep in mind, by the way, another little fun fact about Daniel Bard during his control issues, we would go play golf every day. And then I remember one time we were on the green at one of the holes. We saw a Gator out in the middle of the lake. Takes the golf ball, whoosh, throws it right on his head. This is a guy who had control issues in the big leagues. 
and just smoking gators. Like I was like, this guy, they're screwing this guy up so much in his own head. When he, once he's able to get out of his own head because of these clowns in, in Boston at the time, he was able to, he's been able to throw a golf ball 40 yards onto the top of a gator's head, but he can't throw a strike at 90 feet or 60 feet. Like it was, it was a shame. Um, but that guy is fantastic. And also side note, 10 walks on the air. That's pretty good. 24 innings. That's, that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty fantastic good. Fantastic for a reliever. You, you know, if you're going to throw, he's throwing a hundred. Yeah. To, anyone would take that. I, it, was, it was one of the best stories of the year. I was staying by it. I said the first week and I mean it, uh, all the way up until middle yes. of October. All right. Um, two more left, two yep. more left to buy and sell. Alex Cora, your former manager of Puerto Rico, coming back to the Red Sox, buying or selling. Now, is this a buyer sell that I want him, or is this a buyer? See, that's sell? what I couldn't. I was thinking about when I asked. I was hoping you were going to bail me out and say, like, you you would basically define. I'm buying that I want him. I'm selling that it will happen. That's okay. where, that's where I'm at. All that's right. Where I'm at. Okay. Why you? why do you, why are you selling that it's going to happen? By the way, we just posted something. Uh, Ozzy Guillen was on the Chicago radio station yeah. saying, "I'm a better manager than both AJ Hinch and Alex Cora." <laughs> yeah, that Ozzy Guillen is a better manager. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, but, but like, he's not helping himself by saying this, like, because no, the perception is the reason you're not a manager is because the perception is you're a lunatic. Yep. And when you say that you only feed into that perception. Anyway, going back to Cora, why don't you think he'll be back? I just think it's still too much controversy. I don't think that the, I don't think the red, if the red Sox were trying to win a world series again, I, which I don't think that they are. I, I don't, I, I think it's, it's too much. And also, if there's ever even a chance of getting Jason Veritek as a manager there, which I'm not sure that there is as much as people want him to be, um, I think that they would trend towards him. It's a clean cut. Everyone loves Veritek. Um, I, just, I just don't think that they, they make that move one year out of the cheating scandal that had happened there. Um, I, don't, I don't think they, they care about winning that much that, this quickly to go bring in and have that type of controversy in the dugout. Well, it's, it's going to be – it's interesting because – this is whoever it's going to be like, they better hit on it. They better yeah. get the Kevin cash. And we're signing you to a five-year contract eventually. Like yep. this can't be, they talk about one of the things that we've heard over and over and over continuity, continuity, continuity. I think you and I both agree. Like I've said this to Alex, I said like, no matter what happened, he's still the perfect guy for this team. Oh, like, for sure. He's still, I mean, with the, with the personalities, with the players, with everything. And I, you know, I know they didn't have a good year in 2019. And I do think that even that, that for like, you have to remember, I mean, that was the second year that Alex Cora was managing. My guess is that he would have learned something from that because there was definitely coming into that year. It was definitely like cart before the horse, our shit doesn't stink mentality a yeah. little bit. And, um, and I think that, you know, you all learn from it. But I, I, there's no question in my mind he is the best guy right now for this job. I mean, he's probably the best guy for every job. He, he yeah. was a phen- he's a phenomenal manager. He's, the guy is as good as it gets. Um, and I think he took a lot more blame than he should have in Houston. Um, but that's the type of guy he is. He wasn't really going to come out and say much. I think he eventually may have done that. Um, but, I, listen, I would, like I said, I'm buying that I want him. I would absolutely – it would, it, would, it would solidify that the Red Sox are back on the right track to going in the, and going in the right direction because uh, we have the right person leading the group. But I don't think it, it happens. Okay. Last one, buying or selling your Boris Core group gear. You're wearing right now, you're wearing a Boris Core shirt. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions. Number one, is that given to you? Do you have to buy it? And no, if it is, and if it if it is given to you, how much gear do they give? Do you give you like the the Boris Core uh, starter kit? You know, how, what do they? What do they? How do they do that? So Boris Core, we get. I have a whole closet full of this stuff. Um, so it's all free. Um, it's Lululemon, which is a phenomenal brand, and um, yeah, Boris Corp is on. They just they every year you get like a care package. Um, every year you still get one. I don't know. I don't get one anymore. Uh, I'm out of the. I'm out of the league now. So, but every year you get a care package at Christmas. They give you a Christmas gift, a big like this big box of a bunch of stuff. Usually, I'm getting like two or three shirts, maybe a pair of pants. It also depends what level you're at. If you're the minor, if you're a minor league guy, you get less. If you're a big league guy, you get a, you get a, a, a pretty big package of stuff. Do you have? Pretty- so I always found this interesting because obviously Scott is 
the agent for the biggest names in the game. Mm-hmm. But and I remember thinking of this when Cora played, actually, because Cora was a Boris guy. Yep. And I'm like, does, does he give the same attention to a guy like Cora? And I know there's Mike Fiore there. No, no, Alex Cho is there. So for a guy like you, no offense, but for a guy like you, like, like how much – who do would you have your guy like would mike be your guy yeah so i have my my guy was someone different guy by the name of bobby brownlee who was a first rounder back in the day out of Rutgers, um who's from new jersey you know lives in new jersey now so and then i had a guy that lives in new york city who um who i also dealt with a lot uh but scott is scott has laid out a he's his business business is fantastic but he's laid out a group of people that just handle handle everyone because he can only handle so much when he's preparing for arbitration at pretty much all hours of the day. Even if he doesn't have a player going into arbitration, he's preparing for arbitration. So that guy is, he's a busy man, but if I needed him, I, he, I could get a hold of him, but it's very rare that I would have ever needed a guy like my shoes would have ever needed, really needed Scott. The only reason I would ever call them or like, it would be like an ego thing. If I want like, I go, oh, I can get a hold of him if I want to. How does, he, never, how does he lock you up? Like, how does he, when, when, when he calls and says, hey, I want to represent you, I would imagine it was like as an advisor for the draft. And so he didn't get me for the draft. Oh, he did I had, yeah, this is actually kind of, uh, I got a bunch of interesting stories, Rob. But uh, I actually, I, want, I wanted Boris before I told, I had picked the guy that had represented, I went to a small school in, in New Jersey called Mammoth. So um, I had, there's a guy that represented some of the players there had, had in years past, so I went with him. But I told my coach if, if Boris Corp ever came knocking to that, uh, I wanted to talk to them. I would change agents if, if Scott Boris came after me. And he allegedly did, and my coach never told me. So there's, there's some conspiracy theories there. But later on, when I was in Lowell for the spinners, uh, I was sitting in Brooklyn in the, you know, how the, in the minor league games, you have the guys in the dugout, in the stands, the pitchers, yeah. radar guys like that. And Bobby Brownlee, who was a Boris Corp guy, had asked me, for Frankie Montas, who was, who's now pitching for the A's today, what that radar, because he missed a pitch, and we got to talking, and he was like, hey, you happen to be looking for something. He's looking for someone. So we did. Flew me out to L.A. to meet Scott and all that. And, I mean, the, the office, everything, it speaks for itself. And then You were and then, seduced. You were seduced yeah. by the Boris Corps. Scott, Scott sat me down, and they, they do the whole thing. Like, listen, we only, go after, we only go after players that we think could be $150 million-plus players. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, Really? <laughs> you, I can make $150 million of this? Oh, I'm in. You guys think so? I'm done. I signed the paper. Let's move on. Oh, that's good. There's more to get to than that. that there's, I think that's, all, again, we've, we've, there's a few different things that we, we don't have enough time. To, that's one of them. But I'm glad that I know now where you get, to, where you get your gear. Yes. Well, a lot of street cred. A lot of street cred. All yes. right. All right. Excellent job. Excellent job.